Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. Welcome to the Story Paths podcast. Today, I'm going to tell you about a strange thing that happened to me and an otherworldly young man that I met, who nonetheless became my friend. Yeah. And I'm going to start this with a song. The last my tongue will taste the fruits of home. The last I'll ken the words that people say. Though we're so far from those who are my own My feet at last they'll find the Savior's way So I was sitting at a bus stop one day, waiting for my bus to come to bring me home. And there's other buses going by, and it's noisy, and it was raining a bit, and I was kind of tired. And I was looking across the street at an older lady who was waiting for the bus going the opposite direction. And I got to thinking, just looking at her, I got to wondering what her life had been like. What was the span of, that she'd lived through, the many years that she'd gone through, and the different eras of humanity and of her own life that she'd passed through? And I wanted to ask her, but of course she was across the street and I wanted to get home and I didn't want to disturb her, and it's a weird thing to approach somebody and ask them about their whole life, so I just sat there. And somehow it was taking a long time for the bus to come. It was delayed. And somebody sat next to me. I wasn't really paying attention, uh, listening to some music in my earphones. But when I looked over, it wasn't a person from the city who was sitting next to me. It wasn't somebody just sitting and waiting for the bus like I was. In fact, it wasn't like anybody I'd ever seen before. So there's a young man 
maybe 17, 18 years old, instead of wearing, you know, a nylon coat or something like that, he was bare-chested. He had strips of hair pulled back on his head, and he was wearing just some cloth around his waist. His body was really lean and muscular, like a marathon runner's body. And he wasn't sitting on a bus stop bench. I actually saw that he was sitting on a log, and he wasn't in the city. He was in a forest, an alpine forest. And I looked to the left, and I saw the city, and I looked to the right, and I saw this young man in the forest. Now, I'm not a scientist or a mystic <laughs> or much of anything, really, but I seems like worlds were crossing, dimensions or, you know, levels of reality or parallel realities, whatever you want to call it, but it seems like this young man and I had come to sit next to each other, just as our worlds had come to sit next to each other. And he was looking the other way, so I reached out and I I touched the log he was sitting on, a fallen log in this forest. And it looked like cedar with this papery kind of bark. But I couldn't touch it. And yet I could smell the forest smell coming in from that world, washing away these car chemicals and dirty streets and all of this from the city I was in. I felt invigorated by it. And then he turned. The, the young man, he turned to me. And we caught each other's eyes. And he looked just as surprised as I felt probably more shocked to see this this city behind me. At least I recognize what a forest is. I, I don't know if in his world they have cities like we have here. And we caught each other's eyes and he spoke something. And somehow I could understand what he said. It wasn't English or French or Spanish or Hindi, any language I've ever heard. But somehow I could understand what he said. And he said, where are you? And I replied, I'm, I'm in transit. I'm, I'm waiting to continue on my journey. Eventually I'll go home. And he seemed to understand what I said, even though I'm sure he didn't understand English. Or maybe any language from this world. But he he nodded, he seemed to understand, and he said, yes, I am too. So I was compelled, I, I was overwhelmed by curiosity, and he seemed like a very kind person. He had very clear, soft eyes. So I asked him, I, I said, who are you, and where are you coming from, and, and where are you going? Where are you now? And he began to tell me. And this is what he said. 
He said, I'm a messenger, and I carry messages between people who are very distant from one another. I run between those places. He said, I'm a runner. I've been trained to run entire days, then rest, and then run another day and another. I learned special ways of breathing and eating and drinking and to keep my body light but strong. I know herbs that I can gather along the way, medicines and foods from the forest. And he looked around him at the forest that he was in. And he said, but I don't know this forest very well. Then he looked a little sheepish and said, Actually, this is my first mission as a runner, as a messenger. And I asked him, who taught you? He said, my stepfather taught me. And again, he looked a little sheepish. And he said, my stepfather is a good man. He was a runner for many years, famous throughout many villages and even many provinces. But he's become older and he's not able to run distances as he was before and he didn't have children of his own so he adopted me and he's taught me how to do this and I'm grateful to him for that. Sensing that there was something more to be said here I asked him about his connection with his stepfather, his mentor and the runner said, He's kind, and he's helped me in many ways, but we don't always see things the same way. He told me so many times about the duties of a runner and how important a reliable messenger is to tie people together and villages together and provinces and nations and lands together. He said, the reliability of the messengers holds the whole of society together. And of course he's right, said the runner. But I'm not exactly applying this like he would want. You see, this is my first mission, he said. And I was called to the bedside of an old man who was dying. He was the oldest of several siblings, sisters, and one brother who was the youngest of all of them. And this dying man, the older brother, he had a message for me to send to his younger brother, who had moved away years before and gone from the tropical lowlands up into these alpine highlands, where I find myself now. I asked the runner, well, what's the message? He laughed and he said, I'm not meant to tell anybody. But in the beginning, I didn't know what the message meant myself because he spoke in the highland language. The older brother spoke the message to me in the highland language, and all I had to do was memorize it. And then I would run up to the highlands and repeat it to his younger brother, and thus pass on the message. This was my duty. And the older brother, he spoke these syllables to me, and I'd been trained to memorize even languages I didn't understand quite quickly as part of my training as a messenger. And he seemed, the older brother, he seemed kind of bitter, angry to me. 
he had a dark feeling ebbing off him. But I thought he must be suffering so much now near the end of his life, so I didn't think much of it at the time. But I took this message that I didn't understand in my mind, and I left him. I left his bedside, I left his home, and I ran and ran and ran, going northward. I ran through villages and through farmlands that I was familiar with from my training and from my own travels, and I kept running north. And as I ran, of course, I collected food along the side of the paths, and in villages people would recognize, oh, it's a messenger, we should feed him and give him a place to stay. And sometimes when I was not near any village, I know how to make a shelter out of small trees and branches, and I know how to find some food in the jungle, how to protect myself. But as I kept running and running, gradually the plants became less familiar. The people's dialect became harder to understand, until eventually I was in a place where I couldn't speak the language. And it became hard to harvest food from the sides of the path without some danger, as I didn't know what might be poisonous anymore. And it was cold. As I went north and as I ran at a slant going uphill, it became colder and colder. And I said to the runner, Oh, you must have been afraid, running and traveling so far by yourself. And he said, I was I was kind of afraid. But my mentor had told me, and I'd heard from others as well and stories and from travelers, that there was a path in the north that anybody could travel along, whether they were a foreigner or from nearby, and that they would be safe and even fed and cared for along the way. And I asked him, well, what, what path might this be? And the runner said, it's called the sage's path. It's a path that winds through different villages and goes all the way to the north, all the way to the mouth of our river, of our our main river in our land. And there at the mouth of that river, there's a sage's village where men and women, they worship and they meditate and they connect with the earth and the sky and they open portals from deep worlds to this one and high worlds to this one. And that pilgrims are going there often to meet them and ask them questions and learn from them and sometimes to become sages themselves So this sage's path is considered very sacred, this pilgrim's path, people going to and from the sage's village. And so all the villagers living near the path, they wouldn't hurt anybody going along this sage's path. And in fact, they leave food out for them. And the runner motioned around him to the forest and to his feet where quite a narrow path wide enough for one person going one way and one person going another, wove up and behind him and out of my sight. And the runner said, this is the sage's path. I'm on it now. And I asked him, well, did you deliver your message? 
And he he held up his hand. He said, let me get to this point. And I laughed a little. I said, okay, okay. You please, please tell me at your own pace. He said, so when I left the lowlands that are more familiar to me, and I took to the sage's path, I was a little afraid, but it's true what my mentor said, my stepfather, and it's true what others have said, that people do take care of you on the sage's path. And in fact, along the way, every half day's journey, or sometimes even sooner than that, there'll be boxes of food by the side, protected so the animals don't get at them, and there'll be dried foods and fermented foods, things that'll keep, things that won't go bad sitting there by the side of the road. And so I've been eating those, and first they tasted a little funny to me, different spices than I'm used to, but they really gave me a lot of strength, and they're they're so light and nourishing. And there's many streams running through the forests and the highlands, so I just carry, and he showed me, he had a, he had a small pack on. He said, I just carry this small backpack. It's very light. So I have a small, small gourd in there to carry water in and a little bit of food. But I fill my gourd by these streams um, every half day. Easily I stop and I, I adjust my breathing and I cool down and I, I take some water and then I have a little bit of food sometimes and then I'll warm up again and start running. And sometimes I've seen people and I couldn't understand what they were saying, but they seemed very friendly. So I've, I've been carrying my message along this sage's path. And the younger brother that the message is meant for, he, he's somewhere further along. And I said, you still haven't reached him. And the runner smiled his sheepish smile and I, I didn't push him. I said, okay, okay, you please tell the story at your own pace. And he said, Yes, yeah, so I was running this sage's path and I felt taken care of by the people, by the path, by the gods overhead and the earth beneath me. And I really started to feel like, oh, I really am a runner. This is, this is my first mission, but I'm doing well. He, I was doing my, my breathing properly and I wasn't eating too much or too little, not drinking too much or too little. I was making good timing, even though the air is thin up here and and it's a little colder than I'm used to. And I'm always going up a bit of a slope, but all things considered, I was making very good time. Until just a couple days ago, I came to one of these boxes by the side of the path with food and I was really hungry from running for such a long time and looking forward to resting. I saw there's some firewood there as well that people had set aside for travelers like me and pilgrims. So I slowed down and stopped and I did a little bit of stretching to cool down. And as my heartbeat slowed down, I started to hear the sounds of the birds around me more. Such different kinds of calls than in the warmer region that I live in. High and low and tick, tick, tick and fluting and back and forth. I thought, what, what an amazing community that I'm coming into here. What a privilege to be on this sage's path. And I took off my pack and I, I opened the box and I found that it was empty. And 
I barely carried anything with me because I'd come to expect these food along the sage's path, and I, I really don't know what food I can eat around here from the wild. But anyway, I thought, okay, well, I, I suppose I'll have to fast. So I set down my pack, and I took out one of the few things I have in my pack, which is a conch mushroom. It's a hard-shelled, round mushroom. And inside of it, I can keep an ember going. And so I use this to start fires as I travel, to cook and keep myself warm. So there was some straw and some kindling there that had been kept dry under a, a little roof that people had built. And I was took that out, and there's a little fire pit, and I was going to start a fire when a, a voice called from behind me, Stop! The voice was reedy, but strong. And the accent was unfamiliar, yet this was my own language, something I hadn't heard for many days. said, I turned to see a most extraordinary elderly woman. She had clear eyes and a kind smile. She was dressed, it seemed, in the forest itself, in bark and cloth, the color of the branches and leaves and needles on the trees. And her posture was humble, caring, and yet strong, just like her voice when she spoke and said in my language, Please, I apologize. I meant to leave food in this box for pilgrims and others coming along this sage's path. And I've neglected to today. It's almost ready. But something needs to finish drying. And something needs to finish curing on the stove. So please, I'm living just nearby here. You please come to my home. And you can stay there the night. And I'll feed you. And in the morning, you can go on your way with whatever your, whatever your intention is. And the runner, he said, Yeah, I was cold in these highlands and hungry, and of course I accepted her invitation. I didn't know what she would do. So she led me from the sage's path along some stepping stones through the forest. And I kept looking for her home, expecting a log cabin or some such thing. But all there were were huge trees. Trees larger than I've ever seen. Trees larger than I could have imagined. I couldn't see the tops of them. And 50 people might not be able to join hands to encircle one. 
and she stopped near one of the largest trees with its red bark, and she gestured for me to follow. She ducked under a slit, a hole in the tree, and disappeared, and her hand poked out and motioned again for me to come. As I ducked down underneath and entered into rich, dank darkness, she said, This tree is growing only in the outer rings now and has left the inner part for me to live in. And she led me deeper in and we started to see light like a cave And she stepped ahead of me in the growing light until we were inside a most amazing home. And there was light coming from holes in the sides of the trees and herbs hanging everywhere, a hearth heating that space and warming my bones. On the hearth was a bubbling soup. The walls were lined with pots and jars full of different kinds of preparations and preservations. She said, have a seat, and motioned to a grassy cushion next to the hearth. So I sat and allowed the heat to warm me and allowed the sense to fill my lungs and invigorate me and restore me after many days of running. And just as I started to realize how hungry I really was, she presented me with a bowl full of stew. And on top she had sprinkled some nuts and I dug in. It was oily and rich, with different kinds of flavors, and really one of the most nourishing, tasty meals I've ever had. I became very relaxed, and she began to ask me questions in my language with her unusual Highland accent. She asked me to tell her about my village and the kinds of things we grew, the kinds of animals we had, whether we had milk, what sort of trees were around us, and so on. And we got to talking, and I told her I was a messenger, and that this was my first mission, that I was I was bringing a message up into the highlands. And her eyes grew somewhat sharper then, not harsh, but intent, as if trying to perceive something. Then her eyes and her face softened, and she asked, What's your message? What's the message you're carrying? And I said, Oh, I I can't tell you. This is part of my duty as a messenger, not to tell the message to others. It should be confidential. It's just between the speaker of the message and the receiver of the message. And of course, the way I said it was exactly like what my stepfather had pushed into me. 
I shouldn't say pushed, uh, that he'd, he'd taught me that this was the proper way to deliver a message. And I respect them for that. So the elder said, oh, okay, you can't tell me what the message is, but uh, can you tell me who it's for? And I said, yes, this I can tell. And I named the man that it was for, the younger brother of the dying older man who had sent the message. So I named the younger brother who was no longer very young. And she said, yes, I know him. I know him. He's a good man. And it's from his older brother. I said, yes, but I can't tell you what it is. She said, yes, yes, of course, you can't tell me what it is. And so we spoke some more, and all in my language. And after some time, she said, this is your first trip as a messenger, isn't it? I said, yes. She said, but you'll probably be making other trips into the highlands, won't you? I said, I hope so. So, she said, you should learn some of the language. I said, I, yes, I'd like to learn some of the language. I, I don't even know what the message I'm carrying means, to be honest. I, I know none of the language. She nodded. She said, okay, so let me help you. And she started pointing out different drying herbs and the fireplace and naming them in the highland language, in her language, one after the other, the fire, the tabletop, the tree, the light. And I don't like to boast, but part of my training as a messenger is to be able to learn things very quickly, to hear a message once and remember it, even if I don't know the language. So my memory is quite good. And I picked up the different words quite quickly. And it wasn't long as the evening progressed that she started to teach me how words go together. And I started to understand sentences. And of course, sometimes she would translate into my language. But more and more, I was able to understand something something of her language. And as she taught me with certain words, certain syllables, her eyes would sharpen just for a moment as if in recognition, and then soften again, and then she'd point to a chair, and she'd name that, and we'd go on. And again, I'd say something in her language that made her eyes sharpen, and again, we'd go on. And some of these, some of these syllables, some of these words were somewhat familiar to me, even though I didn't know the language. And so we went on with this language lesson for until it must have been quite late. And then she held up her hand to stop. And she told me, looking in my eyes, with her wise, clever eyes, she said, I know what your message is. My heart nearly fell down through my chest. Then for a second, I didn't believe her. I said, how would you know? She said, I know what your message is. And then she spoke it to me the same syllables in the Highland language that the older brother had spoken to me not five days before. She'd gotten it exactly. She'd guessed the message. And here I was, a messenger, one of my prime duties to 
deliver the message to the recipient without anyone else knowing it in between. I thought of my stepfather, my mentor, how displeased he would be with me that my very first mission, I messed it up so badly. And the elder said, I know your message, and you shouldn't deliver it. You shouldn't deliver this message. I shook my head. I said, I I have to deliver it. It's bad enough that you've guessed it. If I don't deliver it, what kind of messenger am I? And she said, if you deliver this message, do you know what will happen? I said, no. You deliver this message, you'll start a battle. You'll start a battle, there will be bloodshed, and you, my friend, will be responsible. on, saying, The eldress, she told me, The younger brother that you're sending a message to, he's a good man. He is a peaceful man, but he has a wound in his heart. And that wound was inflicted by his older brother when they were young. Their mother told them to share what she'd passed on to them equally. To live on the land together, to plant, to tend the garden, to harvest, to be in peace together. But the older brother had some greed in his heart, some jealousy in his heart. And he pushed the younger brother off that land. Having nowhere else to go, he thought, I've always wanted to travel the sage's path. So he went to the highlands, but in his heart, he wanted to still have a home to return to. He wanted to go on pilgrimage to the highlands, the younger brother, but he wanted to be able to return. But he couldn't. He had no place to return to. His older brother had fortified the place, had turned their friends against the younger brother. So the younger brother, he found a place in the highlands. He fell in love with a woman there and had children. And he's living peacefully in a, in a village a few days north from here, she said to the runner. But that wound is still in his heart. I've traveled there. I've spoken with him. I've seen that in him. And it's my guess, and she said, Not guess. I know that if you tell him this news from his older brother, he'll become so angry that he'll come back to the lowlands with all his new family and friends and all the weapons that he can gather and warriors that he can entice to come and he'll take back what he considers to be his And then there'll be retaliation, and again retaliation, and you will have stirred all that up with your 
message. So the runner said, I don't understand. I... He became somewhat crestfallen. and He said, I don't even know what my message is. She said, ah, then I will tell you the meaning of your message. She said, that older brother, who should have found it in his heart, in his last years, his last moments at least, to let go of whatever animosity he had helped stir up in his youth. He should have invited his younger brother back. He should have made amends with the friends that he had turned against his younger brother. But instead, she said to the runner, do you know what message he sent? He said, it is your own fault that you ran from these lowlands. It is your own fault that you betrayed me and tried to take the land that our mother had given to both of us. And now, in my last days, I wish that you see your responsibility, that you see the wrongs you committed to me, and that you see that from my side I did only what I had to do. So you see, said the eldress, the older brother's taking no responsibility. He's blaming the younger brother for that which is his fault. He can't see. He grew old but didn't become an elder. And the younger brother, he went to the sage's village, but he didn't become a sage himself. He doesn't have that capacity to forgive. And those words from his older brother will be like a fire poker stirring up the coals of his heart into anger and he will come to the lowlands and he will bring bloodshed with him. This is the message you're carrying and this will be the result if you deliver it. So I ask you, my friend, she said to the runner, do not give this message. Now the runner was taken aback at a loss. He said, my duty as a messenger is to bring messages. My stepfather, my mentor, he told me this again and again. I don't agree with him on everything, but I, I can't betray him in this way. This is my first mission. Already I've given up the meaning of the message to you, which I never should have done. And now you're telling me not to deliver it at all. So you'd have me come back to my mentor and lie to him? Or tell him that I didn't give the message? That I'm a terrible runner. He'd never want me to do this again. I'd fail him. I can't do that to him. And the elders, she looked sympathetic. But she didn't change her mind. She said, you can't deliver this message. I can see this will be hard for you. She took a breath and she said, but leave this for now. 
The younger brother is days run away, and you still have time to make your decision. So keep warming yourself by the fire here. I'll put in some more logs. And listen, my neighbors, they're keeping some goats, and they make the most delicious goat milk. I've turned some into yogurt. Let me bring some of that. There's sweet syrup from some of the trees around here. You wait. It'll be delicious. Don't worry about this for now. Just have some of this. Warm yourself. Have a good rest. And see where you stand on it in the morning. So this hardly pacified the runner, but she brought this dessert and she sprinkled some pine nuts on top and the syrup was sweet and the yogurt was rich and he ate it and he didn't speak any more of that that evening. Neither did she. And she showed him to a room and there's a comfortable mat there on the floor. Cloth stuffed with leaves and soft cloth inside. And he set down his little pack and he lay down. Far more comfortable than he thought it would be. Far more comfortable than he'd expected to be that night, sleeping next to the sage's path. And he took breath and he closed his eyes and his his belly was full and he nearly drifted towards sleep until he remembered this dilemma. His first mission, and he was carrying a message that could cause death. If he didn't deliver the message, he would either have to come home to his mentor as a failure or a liar. So the runner told me, do you think I slept that night? No, I didn't sleep at all. And even looking at him there on the log that he was sitting on and me on the bus bench, I I saw he still looked tired. He said, I tossed and turned all night. And when I did drift a little bit into sleep, I'd see my mentor there admonishing me, telling me my duty as a messenger. And if it wasn't him in my dreams, then it was people dying because of the message that I brought. So no, I didn't sleep that night, even in that very comfortable bed. And eventually, mercifully, dawn came, and little light trickled in from outside through holes that somehow wove throughout the tree. And I heard the eldritch in the kitchen, rummaging around, and then those sounds faded. From outside, I heard the most remarkable sounds of birds calling to each other. They were the same birds. They must have been the same birds as the day before when I had arrived in this place. But they sounded so different in the morning. Again, a new kind of harmony. If that had been their evening, harmonious song, this was their morning chorus, greeting the sun. And I thought of how welcomed I had felt the night before by their song. A stranger coming into their midst, and yet they didn't seem to fear me. 
I felt I could be among them in a peaceful way. And then my mind went to this village, three days run, north and upward into the highlands, where the younger brother, going about his days, without any idea that his older brother was dying or that this message was coming for him. The elders had said this younger brother was a good man, a peaceful man at heart, despite the wound of anger that he carried. He must have family that loved him, children, a garden, a home, a life, just like these birds had their own homes, their own songs to each other. This younger brother had found peace here, despite what his older brother had done to him when they'd been young. And I, I would be coming in there like a knife, like a fire, burning, destroying all that, invoking the fire in his heart. I couldn't turn away from it. This message of mine had power, and I had the power to give it or to withhold it. I couldn't turn away from this responsibility, saying it was my duty. I could try, of course. I could say it's not my responsibility. I'm just giving the message. But I knew in my heart that that was a decision. To give the message was itself a decision. To adhere to responsibility to my mentor was itself my decision. I couldn't say it was his choice. It was the duty of a runner. I couldn't say it's the responsibility only of the older brother. Because I had my part to play. And I couldn't abdicate that. And somehow the bird song told me that. Let me know that. I don't know if I explained that very well. And I told the runner, I, I said, I, I think I understand. And he looked a little encouraged and he went on. He said, so I got up from that comfortable bed and I picked up my little pack and I went out of that room and into the kitchen where the eldress and I had been speaking the day before. And she wasn't to be found, so I went through the dark, tunnel-like regions of the interior of that giant tree until I saw the light glinting in from the outside and I ducked underneath and I, I went out and I hadn't seen it when I'd come there at night in the dim light. But there were wonderful gardens all around this tree Greens and yellows and purples and many parts were flowering. Some parts grew on the tree. Some parts grew high. Some plants towered above the others and some twined up those tall plants to catch sunlight. And there was the eldress. And she was in and amongst these plants laying down grass as mulch and picking out 
little weeds. And she looked up and she saw me. And she rummaged in her pocket and she handed me a stick. She said, this is to clean your teeth. You just chew on it. It'll clean your teeth out in the morning. I said, okay, yes, I know that. From the lowlands, we have another another plant that we do that with. Absent-mindedly, I started chewing on it because I still didn't feel confident about what I had to say, but she was looking at me, waiting, with a kind but uncompromising look. And I nodded and I said, I can't deliver this message. I won't give the message. And she nodded again, as if she'd expected that. She didn't quite smile, but she seemed somewhat satisfied, and somehow that warmed my heart. But I still felt twisted inside. I said, I can't deliver this message, but I don't want to face my mentor and tell him this. And I don't want to lie. She asked, well, then what will you do? And I chewed on the stick she'd given me and this fresh, astringent taste filled my mouth and an idea came to me. I told her, I can't lie. But I can, I can say what the older brother meant what he should have meant, what he should have said. The eldress cocked her head, listening. I said, let me say that the message is this, that the older brother said, I tried from such a deep part of myself that I hardly know it. I tried to make amends and see what I'd done and see my responsibility and forgive you for anything you may have done, my younger brother. I tried from this deep place to come to a point where I could wish you well. But I couldn't, even on the verge of death, when these trivialities shouldn't matter anymore, even then I couldn't find the will to look at my own misdeeds and come to the point of wishing you well as your older brother should. I couldn't. I'll die with this. But at least, for what it's worth, take this honesty. This honest presentation of my condition. And the eldress nodded again, and this time she smiled. She said, yes, I think that that is what the older brother meant. That is the voice of the person that he could have been or should have been, that perhaps deep down in himself he was. I think that you have translated his message not misrepresented him, not lied. I think that by delivering this message as you have spoken it, 
you will be truly acting out your duty as a messenger. Hearing this, the runner said, my heart warmed still more and I felt like weights shed from my body. And there, as I sat by the bus stop and watched him, it seemed like more weight shed from his body and he looked less fatigued, telling me this story again. And we just sat there for some time, thinking, breathing. He was tapping out a rhythm on his knee and I started tapping along. He in the forest and I in the city. These two worlds joined for a moment and I started to feel the world sliding apart. And the runner stood from the log that he'd been sitting on and he picked up his pack and he said, well, I should go. And I said, wait, how did the younger brother react? You didn't tell me. And the runner said, I I haven't given the message yet. I'm still more than a day's journey from there. Probably two days, depending on how quickly I go. And I should run. He said, but in my heart I know how he'll accept it. In my heart I know that this is a fit. That this message, instead of awakening the anger in his heart, that it will cool that anger and that he may find some more forgiveness for his older brother hearing these honest words. And I feel that delivering that message, I will have done both of them a service. And I asked, will you tell your father that you've done this, your your mentor? He said, it's my stepfather, but no, I, I won't tell him. Not the way I've told you, though you're a stranger. He said, you don't feel like such a stranger anymore. But no, I won't tell my stepfather, my mentor. I'll just tell him that I delivered the message, and that that's true. And I nodded and I said, yes, I, I think it is. And I wish you well on your journey. He said, I wish you well on yours. And with that, the runner turned. And as I watched him run down that sage's path, going into the forest, as I watched him, the forest itself faded from my view to be replaced by the rest of the bus stop. And I looked across the street and there were cars going the opposite direction. And I saw the elderly lady still sitting there, still waiting for her bus. And again I wondered what kind of life she'd lived, what kind of wisdom she'd gained, and whether she might speak it 
to a stranger who asked. My own bus was about to pull up, but I thought, I'm not in such a rush. And I waited for my bus to go and took a chance to cross the street. And the elderly lady looked up as I sat down beside her and opened my mouth to ask her about the life she'd lived and the lessons she had learned. Fair Eldris there within the forest glade Waiting for your questions to burn Fair Eldris waits for you to sheath your blade Waiting for your ear to Thanks for listening to the Story Paths podcast. If you liked it, feel free to leave a review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening to Story Paths, where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours. In the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, may you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close.